Yes, you are here. You're with me. Good. I'm glad. This is Trace. We've been talking about Trace. You saw maybe an interview uh, with Trace a couple of weeks ago. Um, he looks a little bit different. He got a haircut. Yes. So, and, but he's wearing the same shirt, so we try to do that to help you bridge the gap. Just making sure. He's, he's, making he's very thoughtful that way. Um, all right, let's get the family uh, to stand up. Ginger, uh, we got, what, everybody's here. Cullen, Ansley, Rowan. They didn't want to really necessarily come on stage, right? No, no. Okay. okay. All right. Them. Anyway, so they, they're going to be uh, at the table in the back afterwards. If you guys want to just run by and say hello, encourage them. I wanted to maybe talk with Trace just uh, a couple minutes, let you guys hear let you see him, he and his family, what they're doing. Um, we love church planning at, at Summit Crossing, uh, mainly because it is, it is the most effective outworking of the Great Commission. Um, number one, to make disciples, to bring them into a worshiping community. And what we also see, statistically speaking, with church planting is that 60 to 80 percent of the new members and regular attenders of a new church plant under five years old, 60 to 80 percent of those are from a population of people that do not go to church at all. So churches that are older, 10 to 15 years, they pull maybe 10 to 20% of people from the unchurched or dechurched population, whereas new church plants pull in 60 to 80%. So it's an effective tool in the kingdom. We love it. We want to resource it, and we want to ex expose you to as much as we know about in, in this area. So that's why we want to trace up here. So quick question. I know you're excited about 2019. What excites you most about what you guys are doing in 2019? Wow. I mean, I think... There's a ton that is going on right now, but also going into 2019. And I think when we look at what we're doing there, uh, being led by the Spirit of God into these rural places, our heart is to be about three pillars, worship, missional communities, and missions. And so when we think on those things, I look at our missional communities, and we have two missional communities right now, one in Hartsville, one in Faultville. And we already need to expand the one in Faultville, which is exciting, and, and, and multiply into awesome. another one. And so we're really pumped about that. And so in 2019, seeing our missional communities multiply, seeing the mission that those missional communities are doing, multiplying. We're involved at Faultville High School uh, and in the, in the town of Faultville, but also uh, we're looking at a place called Sparkman School. So our Hartzell MC, uh, Sparkman School, not the one up near here, the one that is east of Hartzell, is a school that they say 90% of the children go home and do not eat that evening. It is the uh, most poverty-stricken school in Morgan County. And so we want to really get into that place as well as a part of our mission and looking overseas as well. But then in worship, uh, we're excited about uh, in three weeks uh, starting worship at Faultville High School. And so be praying for that. That's exciting. And then what we're also doing because of biblical illiteracy is we are, create, we are starting the, the, the CBR journal in January as a church. And then we're also uh, doing a Jen Wilkin Bible study of Exodus uh, starting in January as well. And so our, our men and our women. And so we're really pumped about that, desiring to just dive in and, into the word and just being just marinating there together as God's people and just seeing the overflow of that carry us into mission. And so we're really pumped about what God is doing in those areas. That's awesome. They don't know what a CBR journal is yet. Yeah. yeah. Um, we have a Summit Daily Text. It's, it okay. follows the exact same right. well, uh, cool. Bible reading plan. So we'll yeah. find out about that in January. Awesome. Um, <laughs> Sorry. No, no it's, it's all good. I'm just saying when <laughs> you get in the blank Swahili, stare, you're yeah. like, yeah, oh, y'all know. Yeah. And I'm speaking no, another we don't. language. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. So I know that you're part of the church planner cohort over at, at Summit Madison. 
So what excites you about maybe planting while you're partnering with Summit going forward? Well, I mean, uh, some of it, it has been a no-brainer for us because of our history. Uh, our history with Summit goes back to 2008, right. so about 10 yeah. years uh, we've been involved with Summit Crossing, um, which has been really awesome to just see how the Lord has used that. Summit Crossing supported us while we were in England for five years where we planted a church there. And so in coming back, it just made sense in being in the region to work with Summit Crossing because of our philosophy of ministry and everything that we're doing, uh, we're doing in a similar fashion. And so getting involved with the cohort, knowing Paul Whaley and David and these guys here, it just, it just made sense for us. It's, uh, it's one of those things where it's family. Uh, we feel like it's family. Um, it has been family for us. Uh, David and Paul came over to England with Bailey and all the different folks came over there. And we even got the opportunity to assess Kenton Killebrew and Haley um, to go, for them to go into Muslim ministry. And so that was a lot right. of fun. And so there's been a lot of history there. And being in the cohort has just solidified that. And not only that, but just built a deeper brotherhood and, and family aspect to what we're doing. So it really, it really is exciting to us to have like-minded people, people doing things together yep. for the cause of Christ. Yeah, yeah, family, I guess, would be the key word there. That's yes. exactly the way we feel. Yeah. All right, finally, yeah. and most importantly, probably, how, how can we pray for you? Uh, wow. I, I did send this lot. question to you yeah. in an email. Yeah. I know. I'm just saying. I could, <laughs> I could spend probably another 30 minutes talking about right. prayer. Um, no, uh, I think bottom line uh, is uh, just pray for us um, as we just feel a lot of the spiritual attack. Yeah. Um, a lot going on, um, mostly, and I would say in our own hearts, just struggling with things. Just, Lord, you've called us to this, and, and we've, we've lived this before. It's not, we, we actually yeah. knew going into it what we were getting into. So it, but it's, that actually creates its own problems sometimes, is that there's fear, and, you know, there's uncertainty, and just trust. And mm -hmm. so just pray that the Lord would just put on our hearts to rest and and who our identity is, that we are children of the Most High God. And so just pray for our spiritual vitality in that uh, as we are continuing to, to love people in our communities um, and ultimately our congregation to, to shepherd them well, um, that I, I would get out of the way. Uh, pray for that, that the Spirit of God would just run wide open and we would see him at work. Um, but also uh, financially, just pray for us. Financially, we came back from England and we had a support base. That support base is pretty much gone because we've been here for three years. And so we're trying to rebuild that support base. And so pray for that so that we're freed up to do ministry in these places. And ultimately, pray for our missional communities and the mission that they, they have to take the good news into their, their to their neighbors and to the nations. You know, pray for them that we would be very diligent in that and that we would be diligent in loving one another well. That's good. All right, so that, uh, after the sermon, you know, we have a chance to pray. We usually have three, uh, three prayer directives that are going to be on the screen. Um, that'll be the third one. So what you just heard, try to just kind of invest that towards your prayer to the Lord uh, today. You'll have a chance in just a minute. But I want to pray real, real quickly, if yeah. that's okay. That's awesome. I hope it is. <laughs> Lord Jesus, I thank you for this, this man, for this, this family. Um, he makes it sound so easy, uh, but it's not. Um, there's a lot of um, 
future that, that is up in the air and question and, and risk in, in our minds. But we want to follow you with everything that we have, God. We know that, um, that there are no houses or, or lands or, or, or anything, mothers and fathers, wives, daughters, sons, that we're not going to get paid back. God, that we do it because you are the reward. We chase after you with everything that we have. We want to make disciples that make disciples. That's what you've called us to. It is not arduous, and when it feels difficult, it's because we've taken a yoke and, and that, that is not yours and put our own on us. And so I pray that they are able to labor from rest. I pray that they are able to, 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 to feel that too, Father. Holy, Holy Spirit, pour yourself out on this sweet family as they are moving into uh, possibly dark places. Possibly, uh, we're going to the poorest areas. Um, we're trying to bring, they're trying to bring light and, and joy and life of Jesus, that that is the reason. And so we pray uh, for rest. We pray for a missional community family building, that there is this um, sense of unity and, and bonding, that they are there together. Uh, we pray for financial resources. We pray for people to invest their lives in one another. I think of uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 15 right now. It says, um, I gladly will, most gladly will, be, will spend and be spent for your very souls. And so give them that energy and that fuel to not constantly be pouring themselves out without constantly feeling you pouring yourself into them, God. They'll be poured out without you before we know it. And so would you bless this sweet family? God, we thank you, we love you, we trust you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thanks, brother. Yeah. All right, guys. Love, Trace. Um, it's Christmas time. It's approaching rapidly, right? Um, I love this time of year. I love the lights. I love the music. I love the enhanced generosity of people. Right? It's like all of a sudden we're more generous. It just happens. I'm not talking about just Christians. I'm talking about people in general. I love that most people seem to want to be more of what we ought to be. Quicker to forgive. Um, quicker to be patient. Quicker to be giving. I love that stuff. The season of Christmas provides an increased opportunity for happy endings like in movies. We watch, I love Christmas movies, and, and it's, it's a time to hope for things to be made right, whether that's reconciling relationships or a chance for things to be put the way that they, they ought to be or they're supposed to be. And, we, and so we catch ourselves extending ourselves further, and the reason uh, that we, we say, or reason in our hearts would be that we have this generous nature, we would say things like, well, let's do this because it's Christmas, or let's go on and get... This, because it's Christmas, it's a special time. And there's a longing that's deep within us. It's a longing that, that resides deep within our, our souls, a longing that's born of eternity. I don't know if you feel that. It's a longing that comes out of this profound sense of realizing that there's much more to life than we see. And in fact, it's where two realms collide. It's where they coexist at the same time. Uh, in Scripture, we get to see that today in the transfiguration of Jesus. We're going through the book of Mark. We typically go through books of the Bible. And so that's where they, they, they have, well, the physical and the spiritual just collide today. And maybe you're familiar with the story, maybe you're not. I'm going to tell it. But Jesus takes Peter and James and John, and his, that's his inner circle of his disciples, that take them up this high mountain. And according to Luke's gospel, they're, they're going up there to pray. And, and it actually says they're going up there to pray 
uh, about these sayings is what Luke says, or what they had just heard. And what they had just heard was that Peter had confessed that Jesus is the Messiah. He says, who do you say that I am? And, and Peter says, he answers for the disciples, says, you're the Messiah, you're, you're the Christ, all right? And Jesus kind of says, yes, that's right, but let me tell you what that means. And then he says that the Son of Man must suffer. And so they're dealing with the idea of a Messiah coming that must suffer, and they're having trouble with that. And so they're hiking up this mountain, and, and they've got this in their mind. They're trying to get away. They're trying to, to get along to pray with Jesus about this life-altering fact that, that their mentor, that, that their friend, their leader must suffer and die according to the will of God. What is going on? I mean, this is the, that was the apex kind of of their faith to this point, that this confession that Jesus is Messiah and is quickly followed by the most disappointment, most crushing disappointment that they could know is that he's going to have to suffer and die. That's a lot to process. It's okay. It's a tall mountain. It's like that most scholars believe it's Mount Hermon, which is like 9,000 feet high or it's 11,000 feet higher than the valley that they're over, which when I was... In the Himalayas, that's about right where I was, about 11,000 feet. So I know what the altitude is like right there, and I know how thick the air is, and I know how long it takes to walk up one of those. They've got plenty of time to talk, right? Plenty of time, as long as they're in good enough shape to do that. Because the air is thin, it gives you a headache, and it gets you even kind of get a fever <laughs> sometimes. They're not just lazy. Because according to Luke, when they got there, they were kind of heavy with sleep. And so we're always like, you know, the Garden of Gethsemane, they're falling asleep. And they're walking up the mountain, they're it's like they're falling asleep every time they go to pray. They're like, they're, they're super unspiritual is what it seems. But this is a mountain they're walking up, so it makes a little bit of sense. It also, scholars tell us, that this happened at night, not, not in the daytime. So what's about to happen is even going to be more spectacular, more striking, right? And so what's happening is Jesus was going to pray as he, he prepares to turn his journey to Jerusalem and to the cross, and certain death. Uh, one author said it this way. I really like this. I thought this was a beautiful thing, a beautiful statement. He says, through prayer that Jesus' soul might lie calm and still, perfect, in the unruffled quiet of his self-surrender, the absolute rest of his faith, and the victory of his sacrificial obedience. I thought, man, that was a soothing sentence for somebody that's preparing to, to die. To, to say things like a calm and still, a perfect, unruffled quiet. And so Jesus is up there spending a lot of time praying. He's praying for the disciples as well, and, and they're praying for themselves. They're trying to understand and wrap their, their minds around what Jesus was just teaching them. This has got to be an emotionally exhausting uh, experience. I don't want you to forget that the disciples, they're just regular folks. They're like us. They're, they're people. They're not super spiritual. They're having trouble understanding all of this. And so from that prayer, those prayers, maybe the transfiguration was an answer to those prayers. I don't know. We're not really told. But they're, they're scattered around the mountain, and suddenly Jesus' face is altered. Right? His, clothes, his clothing became dazzling white. Um, his face w w like shone like the sun. It, it became radiant as no one could bleach them on earth, is what Mark says. Matthew says, white as light, and his face shone like the sun. And, and Mark just kind of keeps it simple. He just says that, and he was transfigured before them. <laughs> he's in, he's out. That's the way Mark tells stories. They're just very quick, right? And the word transfiguration or transfigured, what it means is simply transformed, metamorphosis. We, we know that to be changed. 
That's what that means. John, who was there in his gospel, writes it like this in John 1.14. He says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of truth, of grace and truth. So they were there. Maybe that, maybe that verse makes a little bit more sense now. We have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son. I mean, there's nobody like Jesus. And so we see this glory that's just kind of exploding at nighttime, and all of a sudden it goes from night to day because of Christ. Here's what Peter says in 2 Peter 1, uh, verses 16 through 18. Make, see if this verse makes a little bit more sense after you know Peter witnessed the transfiguration. Peter says this, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power of the coming of our Lord Jesus, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. He's talking about the transfiguration right there. That's what God is about to, God the Father is about to say. This is my beloved son. And so it makes more sense when Peter's like, we saw him in glory. They actually saw Jesus as he was glowing. Maybe similarly to Moses. If you remember, Moses went up on, on the mountain and he met with God. A cloud kind of came down. And when Moses would come back down after meeting with God, his face would glow. And he put a veil over it. Kinda, it kind of freaked out the, the children of Israel. And they're like, He's glowing, right? He's been with God. He's been changed. Yep. The only difference between Jesus and Moses, though, is that Moses reflected God's glory. Jesus produces God's glory. Is it, that, that's the difference in, in the two, right? Jesus, it emanates from him. Jesus doesn't point to the glory of God. Jesus is the glory of God. And so we see these, these two big differences. And so right there in, in front of the disciples, they, fully, they saw God, fully God and fully man, just right in front of them. The two realms collide, the physical and the spiritual, seeing the form of God shine through the form of a servant. God has got to be something to behold. And so we get a, a reaction from them. But we're not done yet, because it's not just Jesus. They, they close their eyes for a second, and then Moses and Elijah appear out of nowhere. They're just talking with Jesus. What is going on, right? Moses and Elijah? And how do they know it's Moses and Elijah? I was, I was wondering that one. I mean, how do, you, how do you know? I mean, it's not like you had their Facebook, you know, post or anything. You don't know what they, what they look like. And so I'm just guessing that there's this heightened spiritual awareness. Like, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll dream, and I won't see people's faces, but I just kind of know who they are in my dream. I'm like, oh, yeah, you were there. And I try to think, did I see your face? Nope, I just knew you were there. I knew that was you. I don't, I don't know how that works, but there was some, some way that they knew that it was Elijah and Moses, what were they talking about, you think? I mean, they, that, that's kind of a big deal for them to come, so Elijah and Moses to come back, and they're talking with Jesus. What were they talking about? Luke, the Gospel of Luke tells us that they were talking about his departure, Jesus' departure that he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Oh, that's the cross. So they were talking about his departure, about the cross, and that's what Jesus was probably praying for and, and pre preparing his heart for and his disciples. Now, why was it Moses and Elijah, not David and Joshua, 
or Moses and Elijah and not Isaiah. I mean, he's, a, he's kind of a major prophet, like literally, right? Most, most scholars say that Moses represents the law and Elijah represents the prophets, so the law and the prophets. And here's, here's something interesting as well. The Greek word for departure in Luke, where it says they were talking about his departure, that's the same word for exodus, the word exodus. Moses was there. Moses knows a little bit about an exodus, right? He's part of that in the Old Testament with the children of Israel. From Pharaoh, from Egypt, he led an exodus. He led the children of Israel's departure from slavery and bondage into freedom. Perhaps Jesus was discussing that he was fulfilling the final exodus, not from earthly powers, but from spiritual ones, right? Because Moses' exodus was a, was a glimpse of the greater exodus that the Son of God would lead the victory over the greater enemy of sin and death and Satan, right? He's going to disarm all the rulers, all the principalities and authorities in the heavenlies. He's going to put them to open shame. He's going to triumph, triumph over them in his departure. And maybe they're, they're talking about that because that's, that's what his departure is. That's quite a discussion. Don't you think? I just want to listen to that. I want to tell me about that. Maybe that's why Moses and Elijah just disappear. And Mark records Jesus is just standing there alone. Because in Jesus, the law and the prophets are fulfilled by him, not by you. You don't earn it, you receive it. And we talk about that all the time. And Jesus himself said in Matthew 5, 17, he says, don't think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. That's what he's doing. He's about done. That's part of it. His divinity shining for them to see. But other, others have argued for the humanity of Jesus here. That part of it was his discussion with Moses and Elijah about his departure was a divine encouragement from the Lord for his difficult road that, that was ahead. Because Jesus isn't a robot either. He doesn't just walk into pain and suffering and go, I knew that was coming, I got it. He was fully God and fully man. And we don't focus on that a lot. He needed rest. He had to retreat away from people sometimes. He was emotionally tired. He had to go pray and he had to recharge and fill up. Who ministers to Jesus? Oh, he doesn't need anything. But he's fully human. And it's just things to, to think through. After being in the wilderness and tempted by Satan for 40 days, it says angels came and ministered to him. He took Peter and James and John with him. He, he could have gone alone. Oh, he's just teaching all the time. Yeah, that's true. He took him with him as he was suffering there. This is, as I was preparing this week, this is, it's almost like the Holy Spirit just landed on me and said, hang out here for just a second. Say this. Christmas is a wonderful time of year. I absolutely love it. It is one of my favorite times. And for some people, it is incredibly difficult. So we have to at least acknowledge that. I love Christmas more than any time of the year, and that's what makes it so hard for other people. The more enjoyable it should be, the more difficult it can feel because there's all the pressure of producing. 
whether it's family gatherings that have to be a certain way so you, you, you have measured up to what your family should be and how happy you should be, or whether you've had loved ones that have passed away around this time and you're trying to work through how you're supposed to be happy when you feel sad. And so maybe you need God to send some encouragement, like Moses and Elijah, like they were for Jesus. That God, God sends people to encourage you when you're about to give up. So maybe you'd pray and ask God to minister to you. Or maybe you're the one that he will send to somebody that needs to be encouraged. Somebody that's struggling this season. And so I would just say pray. Be open. Be, be ready and receptive and listening. Now, Peter, James, and John are, 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 are standing there, and they're, they're, you know, they're kind of wi- mouths wide open. Transfiguration is happening. They're glowing like the sun. And, and, and Moses and Elijah are talking with Jesus. And they don't know what to do. And again, Peter just can't stand there, and, and he, he wants to fill the silence. He can't just have the awkward silence there for a second. He's like, he's got to say something, right? Yeah, i got to say something. We can't have awkward silence. And so he says, it is good that we are here, <laughs> right? And just saying, just kind of, you know, it is good that we are here, you know. Let's build three tents, one for each of you. And I'm like, what? what a, really? That's what you thought to say? Jesus doesn't even respond to him. <laughs> he just kind of keeps, yeah, it's, it's Peter, <laughs> it's okay. Right, what, what is Peter really doing though? What do we not understand? What's the context that we don't understand, right? Peter's loving this. He wants it to last forever. He is literally having a worship mountaintop experience. He is watching Jesus go full God, boom! And they're like, whoa, this is amazing. I can't believe this. I love this, and I want to stay forever. And, and, and I'm scared, and I'm, I'm intrigued, and I'm terrified, and I'm in awe, and it's all happening at the same time. Guess what? That's called being in God's presence. <laughs> as normal, or it should be. It should be normal. That's what happens. I'm not talking about when you just come to church. I'm not talking about when you sing a song, although that may happen. I hope it happens increasingly. But let me tell you this, if you stand in God's presence and you're like this, huh, you're, you're not in God's presence. You're, you're either, your heart is too hard to see or, or, or you're, you're, you're not really fully seen because what happens is you're stunned and, and you're, you're amazed and this awe comes over you and you're taken aback. Worship is a natural reaction to greatness, to, to glory. All right? I remember when I was a kid. I don't know. Does anybody, I don't even know, I may be too old for this to even matter anymore, but does anybody know who Mickey Mantle is? Nobody. Nothing. Okay. Crickets. One hand. Thank you. <laughs> Mickey Mantle was one of, one of the greatest Yankee baseball players of all time. A legend. Right? When I was a kid, it was just an amazing, he came to town, and my dad's like, we're going to see Mickey Mantle. And I'm like, I can't believe this. This is an amazing thing. So I'm like, we're standing in line for the signature, and, and I finally get, my dad's talked about him just like most of my life. You, you knew who Mickey Mantle was. And so we're in town, and I'm, I'm just amazed. This is actually a real person, still alive. I'm getting his, his, his autograph, and so I finally get up there to him, and he writes on the ball, and he asks me a question, and I just kind of stood there. 
I looked totally unimpressed, right? You'd think that I was just some spoiled brat whose dad dragged them up there to get what his dad vicariously wanted himself to have through his kid. That's not what was happening at all. I was just like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know what to say. And the moment passed. <laughs> you know, it was just, it was, just it was like that. Because what happened, it was, it was like, the, have you seen the Christmas story, a Christmas story? I'm just playing like 24-7 right now. When the kid, kid wants the Red Ryder BB gun, and he talks about it all the time, and he writes about it, and, and then he gets in front of Santa Claus, and it's just like nothing. I, I, that's what, that's that moment, right? I didn't know, I was overwhelmed. And that's just being around somebody that's good at a sport. <laughs> a sport, you know, he was good at baseball. That's not making a universe. So you've got you've to think what these guys are going for, this worship, to be in awe, to be amazed. Here's the deal. It's what your heart longs for. Right? What happened there is what your heart is long, it longs for, whether you know it or not. It explains why we praise things. It's why we love stuff, why we get excited. Right? It's, it's why there's an, an amazing diving catch in the end zone, dragging your foot. You come off your chair, out of the stands. You throw your hands up in the air. Nobody has to choreograph this for you. Nobody has to say, hey, when he catches this, this is the plan. So when he runs this break 44 yeah, and he goes left, when, if he makes the catch, jump up and be excited. No, nobody says that because what happens is you see something, it amazes you, and your response that's normal goes, whoa. Yes, that's amazing. My heart is just like, like, I hurt myself two weeks ago, hitting myself right here, and I just did it again. (laughs) I hurt so bad. I couldn't cough for a week. Uh, All right. (laughs) I bet I don't do that at 11. All right. Okay, sorry. Anyway, we're, we're, we're talking about worship. I totally got off. Anyway, <laughs> we love to worship. It happens naturally. Okay, when you see something great, when your heart's in the right place, when your eyes are fixed on, and, and, and you understand the, what's going on, you're in. I don't have to talk you into it. I don't have to beg you to do it. I don't have to put a hand behind your back. I don't have to give you money. I don't have to do anything. You just want to. You're in. You're there. You want to build three tents. You want to stay there forever. That's why we praise things. We're, we're made for that. We're, we're made. When you love football, when you love beauty, when you love an awesome guitar solo, when you love acting on stage or a, an amazing movie or a huge Christmas lights display, when you love that, it is an echo in your heart that you love glory and majesty and splendor. That, that's why you do what you do. It's hardwired into you. Christianity just has a reason for it. Everybody else is just, well, I just think I like that. No, 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 it's deeper than that. It's not about you. It goes through you, and it doesn't end. It doesn't terminate on you. It terminates on him and his glory. You are made in his image. Therefore, you love anything that displays greatness and majesty and splendor. That's how that really works. That's Christianity. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. But hold on. It intensifies even more. Verse 7, a cloud overshadowed them or enveloped them. Matthew says it was a bright cloud. Remember, it's nighttime, right? It's, it's, not, it's a bright cloud. And in the Old Testament, the cloud represented God's presence. There's a cloud on the mountain with Moses. There's a cloud by day and a fire by night where the children of Israel followed around in the wilderness. There was a cloud that came down and, and filled the tabernacle. And when, when Solomon dedicated the temple, a cloud descended and it filled the temple. 
It represents God and his presence. It means God is here. This is holy. And then a voice of God came out of the cloud, and he said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Now, it's one thing to hear Peter's confession, you are the Christ, you're the Messiah. It is a totally different thing to hear God's confession. You don't forget that. His voice and the declaration was from God himself. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the true King. He is the one all of history and creation has been longing for and waiting on. That's what Advent is. And Peter, James, and John will never, never forget hearing that. When they are witnessing Jesus dying on the cross, this moment will be replayed in their heads, in their hearts. During their confusion afterwards, this moment will be the first thing they remember, hopefully. When they lose their way, when Peter denies Jesus three times, this moment will be at the forefront of their heart. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Listen to Jesus' mission to suffer, to his call to lay down your life, to take up your cross, to find your life by losing it. Listen, in this world you will have trouble, he says but take courage, I've overcome the world. He came to identify with us. Matthew records that after the disciples had fallen on their faces, when this cloud came, they were terrified. And then Jesus, like a gentle father, came and touched them and said, rise, have no fear. Just like after the storm, they're all terrified. Still, they were afraid of the storm, and then Jesus calmed it, and it was dead calm. And then the Bible says, and then they were terrified. It's like they were, they were more afraid when he calmed the storm than of the storm. So now, because now you're in the presence of a God can do that, <laughs> and your life is his. Oh, that's terrifying. And then Jesus says, don't be afraid. Um, one of my children would have night terrors. When, they were, when he, was, he was two, and it, every night, about two, it was two o'clock in the morning, just on the, the, the dot, it was amazing, two o'clock, screaming, top of his lungs. Walking around, eyes open, screaming, still asleep. And so what I'd have to do every night, and it was upstairs at the time, I think, <laughs> go upstairs, go upstairs, and I would, I would talk, and I'd say, Joshua, Joshua, Joshua. And the, but the minute I would touch his shoulders, like he would just wake up. And I thought of that when I was reading about Jesus. And it says that he walked over and he touched him and said, Rise, have no fear. I'm right here. You're okay. It's not what you think it is. Sometimes it takes a loving father to, to shake off the nightmares. Then Jesus, uh, or then the disciples look around and the voice had, had spoken and they notice that Jesus is now alone. And Mark makes sure that, that we, we get that it was just Jesus there. Right? He says, and suddenly, this is Mark, verse 8, and suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. Like, you know, reiterate, reiterate. In other words, Jesus is not on par with Elijah and Moses. He's totally other. <laughs> he's not the greatest of all time. We talked about last week. He's totally, he's a son of God. And they, the disciples, are finally starting to get it. Jesus tells them, don't tell anybody until after the Son of Man has risen from the dead. And I'm sure their response would be, 
<laughs> right? I mean, you know, because they didn't really, under, risen from the dead, they didn't get that. Nobody had ever done that by themselves before. The only risen from the dead they knew was the last day when everybody was going to rise. And so that probably, that didn't even compute. And they're like, okay, after what we've seen, well, why would he say that? Because people are still expecting a military leader, a political leader, right? Somebody to come and take the oppression of the Romans away and defeat the Romans. They're, they're still looking for that. But after the, their said political or military leader dies, then you can have that conversation. Because before glory must come suffering and death. That's the divine order of glory. So we have a future hope and a glory. So in the, in the transfiguration, here's what we see. We see there's a future hope and a glory. I mean, there's, there's more to this life than, than what we see. Moses and Elijah are there. They're walking around. They're recognizable, right? They're, they're people. You should take great comfort in that. For a few minutes, Peter, James, and John get a glimpse, a glimpse of the, the, blessed, the blessed hope of the afterlife that we as Christians have. Remember uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 52. Let me read that to you. It says, Behold, it's a nice Bible word for look at here, listen, listen up, right? I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, the, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. So this Christmas, we can know that we have a God that loves us, and even though this world is under the sway of the evil one, the ultimate direction it is going is under the sovereignty of God, of a Father who loves us. He is for us, and we will never let anything separate us from him. That, that's where our ultimate hope is, our ultimate security in Christ, who secured that on the cross. And in, in going to the cross and in rising from the dead, Jesus has identified with us in our suffering, in our pain in this life, by becoming human, by suffering and taking the full wrath of God. He took it against sin on the cross. That's what was ours to bear. He took the full power of the enemy, the full punishment of shame and guilt that we deserve, and he conquered it. You remember how? He swallowed it in death and then rising again. Is that as if he was on the cross and, and wrath was being poured out on him and shame, all the world shame, the accumulative shame over all of time and, and sin over all peoples over all time is poured out on him. And Jesus, in effect, says to all the powers of darkness and evil, is that all you got? Is there, you've emptied it out now. I've taken it all, and I'm about to triumph in victory over you, but this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to use your, your tools of death and suffering. I'm going to suck them all in, and then I'm going to spit them out when I get up. And that's how he, he led death to death. It doesn't compute. It's flipped on its head how the kingdom goes forward. And so keep thinking the paradoxical kingdom. That's how Jesus brings things. He lays down his life and he says, you know what? You do the same. Follow me. Lay down your life so that you can take it up. The way to lose your life is, is, is trying to gain it, but the way that you gain your life is by losing it. Do like I did. Be like I am. This is how life really works. This is how you flourish. Not by trying to hang on to things and get more things and accumulate stuff and have the perfect family. It's by laying your life down, by sacrificing for your spouse, by, by doing things that are others-centered. By giving things away. That is, that's how you not only follow Jesus, but love life. Those go together. We don't believe it. We don't believe it yet. But we're like the disciples. We're in process. And we're getting there. 
And so, friends, when, when we trust Jesus, we have a strong hope beyond what we can see here and now, and it's a call to follow him with all your life. And not only is there a future hope and a future glory, but there's a present hope and a present glory. This is what you have to take to the bank because it's Christmas. <laughs> Do you know that the word for transfiguration in Mark or in the Gospels is also the same word that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians 3.18? Here's that verse. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, transfiguration language, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, transfigured, metamorphosized into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We too are being transformed. We do that by beholding the glory of the Lord, just like Peter and, and James and John. What you spend your time looking at, what captures your heart, where you Focus your time. Where your default in life is will change you. You become what you love. You are what you love. And the mechanism is worship. That's what we see here. Our transformation doesn't wait till our death, though. It occurs now. It started now. We're being changed now. We, we aren't what we will be. Uh, uh, we aren't what we ought to be, but we're certainly not what we were. We're being changed, and we're beholding the glory of the Lord. And as we gaze at Jesus, as we constantly trust Him, turn to Him, look to Him, when our default in life is to turn to Him, we are being transformed and a little bit more like Him. So where are you looking? Where are you looking right now? Do you believe that people can change? This is a great time to believe that. If you're going into a, a Christmas season when you're getting extended family together, it means that not only can people change, but so can families. That, that Christmas seasons can be redeemed, that family gatherings can change, that people's course in life can change. And you're not stuck. Jesus is the source of change. So let's behold Jesus together this Christmas. Let's spend some time praying. There'll be three prayer directives up here. I'm going to give you one to two minutes to pray. When I pray on top, or when I start praying, you just keep praying. You don't have to stop. You're going to stay right where you are if you're new. If this is your first time, we want you to hear the gospel through singing. We want you to hear the gospel through the preaching. We want you to pray. And we're going to take the Lord's Supper.